Welcome to Motherhood Exposed. Join me, Zoe Cresswell, mum of two and a UK-trained midwife and doula, as I meet with an array of amazing women navigating life and motherhood. Since becoming a mum for the second time, after my own complex journey, I've become more and more aware that motherhood is so unique. There's no one story the same, and women need support now more than ever. I hope by allowing mothers to openly speak out, we can help to break the silence around many topics. We need to shout out that there is no normal, and that is something we need to embrace. Motherhood isn't always picture perfect, so let's bust some myths, realign expectations, and share the journey together. Today's episode is with the mum behind the popular blog at Mum of Boys and Mabel, Louise Clark. Louise was my first introduction into mum bloggers back in the day, and with her middle boy Wilf being the same age as my own son, I've always followed her journey closely. Louise is a journalist, column writer, blogger, and author of two and soon to be three books. She is mum to three children, two dogs, and a wife to one. Today we talk about setting up life as an expat, the story behind her blog, making the decision to head back to the UK, and book writing. I love talking to Louise and hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, Louise. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you so much for speaking to me and coming on the podcast. It's my pleasure. And how are you doing? How's, how's the weather? I always ask how the weather is. I like to reminisce. Um, I'm sat looking out the window now and it's a very beautiful autumn day, but we have very dark clouds on the horizon and I've heard that we're going to get a lot of rain. It's half term next week. And, oh, of course, um, <laughs> rain will be coming. And of course, as always happens when the kids are off, it looks like we're going to have um, rain uh, for the entire half term. So um, I think that's what's coming. <laughs> and the has the excitement of rain gone for your children now? Is that completely out the window? Um, I think the excitement of rain literally lasted about a week after we... Oh, no. <laughs> They're just not, um, I remember we used to come back for summers and my mum used to buy them little umbrellas and wellies and they used to be so excited. They used to, the single drop of rain, they'd run into the garden with their umbrellas. Um, but it doesn't last long. It really doesn't last long. It, the, the excitement, I always liken the excitement of rain for Dubai children to snow for English children. Yes, and no, it, that's a very good way to put it. It quickly kind of moved to, you know, we were on snow watch rather than rain watch. So um, <laughs> had very little actually since we moved back to the UK so so yeah <laughs> although even we went back to the UK last January and um and it snowed and I think it's exciting for about five minutes until Bertie realized how cold his hands get that's exactly <laughs> it like, oh. they kind of run out and um <laughs> we um we actually booked a skiing trip because the kids had never seen snow and we went that first winter we were back and about a week before we went on this quite expensive skiing trip we had the hugest dump of snow and oh, the no. kids were off school for a week and yeah what are the chances so we get up into the mountains and the kids are like yeah, yeah seen it been there done that I opened my door to <laughs> <Yes>. this <laughs> yeah oh no oh well we're still hoping for some rain but I think we've got a few more months until that comes sadly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right I always start um, the podcast with um how did you meet Charlie well I don't know ask everyone how they met Charlie but how did you meet Charlie <laughs> Oh, so we, um, we, our lives kind of mirrored each other's um, for many years before we met. Um, so he went to the school across the road from mine. He went to the boys' school, I went to the girls' school, and he was near below me. So we, we kind of never met. Um, he had a lot of mutual friends, including my cousin. Um, and then we ended up at the same university. 
um and it it we again like our paths so nearly crossed so many times um we had a mutual friend who i used to work with um in sainsbury's when i was at school nice we worked on the i think he worked on the trolleys and i worked on the tills i used to, and we ended to work up, on the on the bakery because i just loved oh yeah well that would be a good that would be a much better job <laughs> yeah. um, well the tills was quite good but you know we when you didn't have customers you used to kind of chat to your friends um, <laughs> until you were split up by this customer service supervisor um but yeah mike worked on the trolleys and we made friends um through working at sainsbury's and then ended up at the same university and um he was a rugby player and he when he when he got to university in southampton he decided to start kind of he didn't want to take it too seriously so he started a kind of a sunday morning team and joined like the Sunday morning league, which was far less serious. And my husband joined um, the uni a year later and they had played rugby together at school. So Mike recruited him um, to come and play. And uh, so for years I watched my husband play rugby, but never met him. And I remember like my husband's quite good at rugby and my housemates, some of them weren't very good. <laughs> um, let's say listening. Um, <laughs> I mean, some of them, some of them were good. Mike was quite good, um, but um, some of them weren't that good. So when he got the ball, um, we used to all cheer and we used to shout, you know, go on Charlie, because there was a hope that they might not lose miserably, which they had <laughs> previously. So I remember cheering for him. He even remembers coming to my house to have parties, but I don't remember those parties happening. So I must have been elsewhere. Um, and we never met. So <laughs> we'll have too much to drink. <laughs> I really don't remember those parties happening, but, um, you know, I mean, I was probably, um, I was either, yes, drinking heavily or <laughs> drinking heavily, probably, at the time. Um, so then we left uni, I went, worked in London, got a flat in London, and he graduated, and we just happened to be both in Tunbridge Wells on a night out, um, and which is where we're both from. And Mike happened to be there and he then said, look, where's Charlie? And I said, who's Charlie? And he went, you remember Charlie? He played rugby at uni. And I went, no, never met him. <laughs> and, um, but I heard the word rugby and I was like, let's, let's meet then. <laughs> and um, the rest, as they say, is, is history. But yeah, it was funny kind of going back and once we'd met and saying who we knew and how our lives really had kind of mirrored. And I do think that possibly if we'd met earlier, it wouldn't have been a great thing and I think we yeah. probably met at, at the right time for for us so um yeah so that's how it all started that's quite crazy how much yeah. your lives kind of crossed a sort of sliding doors type yeah exactly we I mean we may have met several times but we neither of us remember it so but you um, obviously didn't make an impression on one another so. <laughs> well apart from the rugby you know I remember cheering for him <laughs> <laughs> and you had the um like everybody's fairy tale winter wedding didn't you we did, yes. So um, we booked a December wedding. We both love Christmas. Um, Charlie was actually living in Dubai by this point, um, and I was kind of stubbornly dragging my heels on that one. Um, he proposed and we booked Christmas wedding. I always kind of wanted a festive kind of, you know, um, fairy lights and Christmas trees and dark red roses. I kind of just liked that idea. Summer never really appealed to me for weddings. Um, and so we booked this wedding and uh, two weeks beforehand it snowed really heavily and I remember thinking you know that would have been nice but um it probably would have caused chaos so um I'm just going to kind of try to suck up my disappointment that it happened now and not in two weeks um and then two weeks passed and we were driving up to Greenwich in London which is where we had our wedding 
because that's where we had lived prior to Dubai. And um, some, we, you know, the first snowflake landed on the windscreen as we were driving up. And my mum made a joke about how, you know, here we were, here was coming the snow and um, it continued to snow all that afternoon. And by the time we went to bed, there was quite a nice um, scattering on the ground, but it wasn't thick. Um, all the main wedding party were now in London. They had come to stay overnight and we'd had a dinner the night before. So I kind of wasn't panicked at all about it. I kind of thought the important people are here. It'll be fine. Um, woke up the next day and the snow was just unbelievable. Like, I don't think London's seen snow like that since. It's just, we were lucky, but also unlucky because um, quite a lot of people couldn't come. Um, yeah. I had friend, very pregnant friends that didn't want to risk it. Um, people with newborns, um, people that literally just couldn't get there, but the motorway's just shut. And, um, and then, you know, we had beautiful photos and we had such a lovely wedding day, like traipsing through the snow. But the next day we woke up and our honeymoon was canceled and Heathrow oh, was no. shut. So yeah, I was quite, I mean, we were meant to be going to New York for five oh, days and then up to Christmas and it was um, the dream New York honeymoon and Heathrow was shut. Um, and then we were like, well, what do we do? Because um, the Euro, Eurostar was open, but it was overbooked because everyone was trying to get home for Christmas and panicking. Mm-hmm. Um, you couldn't go north on the train because um, the, tra- it, the, the snow was even worse up north. So the trains just weren't working. So the only choice we had was to go west. So we got on a train and we went to Bath and we had like a lovely few days in Bath in the snow but it wasn't New York. <laughs> um, we, we were planning, it's our 10 year wedding anniversary this December actually, and we were planning New York, but of course, oh, COVID. So COVID. I just don't think we're meant, we're meant to be going. I just no. think, you know, <laughs> oh, no. we should just give up on it. But, um, but no, it was, it was, I do kind of look back and I think, I'm pleased it snowed, but it, you know, it did, it did, it did kind of cause chaos as well. But I, I don't really think generally about that side of it. And it, it's just, it was, it was, we're very lucky to get that, I think. Yeah. For the food. Especially, yeah, <laughs> especially in the UK. I'm so happy to say that this episode of Motherhood Exposed has been sponsored by my favourite baby shop in Dubai, Eggs and Soldiers. The parenting treasure trove on the ground floor of Times Square Centre and online at eggsandsoldiers.com. Launched in 2014 by lifelong UAE resident and mother of four, Sophie Chabowski, Eggs and Soldiers proudly researches, personally tests and cherry picks eco-aware, sustainable and locally sourced baby essentials and playtime equipment, plus the world's safest and most rigorously tested strollers and car seats. This is where you'll find honest advice about the best purchases for your baby, toddler and family's ever-changing needs, plus tips on what you can definitely do without. Check out eggsandsoldiers.com where you can live chat with the team and order with free speedy delivery throughout the UAE and across the Middle East. Not only that, but the lovely team at Eggs and Soldiers have given all Motherhood Exposed listeners a 10% discount code valid until November the 8th. So for online purchases, use Zoe CM10. Z-O-E-D-M-10. And yeah. um, you said you dragged your heels about going to Dubai. What was, what was putting you off going? So it was meant to be, you know, he said... I'm going to Dubai. I've been offered, it was, you know, he worked in finance. It was during the credit crunch. um, And he had been told there's no promotions in the UK, but we do have this opportunity in Dubai. And he kind of said to me, I'm going to go for six months and just see whether I like it. That's what everybody says though, isn't it? (laughs) It's the classic. Just going for a year. Became nine years. Um, (laughs) He, I don't know. I kind of, 
I, I'd just gone freelance. Um, I'd left a job um, at the Daily Express and I had decided to go freelance and it was going really well. All my clients were in London and um, I had a, we'd got a dog. The dog was a year old and she's a, she's a boxer and they're not really kind of designed for the heat of no. the desert. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of thought... They're not in Dubai either, are they? They're on the band list, I think. Boxing. They weren't at the time, but they have since been put on the band list, which is hilarious because, you know, they're the most gentle dogs. The softest things. Um, <laughs> they really are like the softest things. So um, thank goodness we didn't take her because I don't, I don't think, you know, I think you were allowed to keep them, but you couldn't then fly them out. So oh, very relieved really? that right. we didn't take her with us. Um, but yeah, I kind of thought, well... I'm not in the, I'm not kind of at the point in my life where I can just drop everything. Um, so I'm going to just see how it goes. I guess it was sensible looking back. Um, but of course, six months turned into suddenly for tax reasons, I can't stay for six months. It's all to do with the tax years. And so I'm going to be here for a year and a half um, at least. Mm-hmm. And he liked it. You know, he, he really enjoyed Dubai and I, um, I liked it too. I came out regularly I was very lucky that my friend Georgie worked for British Airways, as did her husband. So they, they had kind of friends and family um, uh, positions that they, mm-hmm. that they didn't need for each other. So they, she kindly gave me one and I was able to fly out to Dubai on a monthly basis uh, for pretty much nothing. Wow. Um, and that made such a difference because I could just kind of hop back and forth. And I quite liked that lifestyle. But when we got married, I did think I'm probably going to have to commit now and actually live with my husband. So you didn't move uh, till after you got married? No, not officially. I mean, I was out a lot. Yeah. I kind of feel like, you know, my, my time in Dubai really started at the same time as him because I was out so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't properly move until we got married. Um, and my parents had offered to have the dog. Um, you know, I just didn't, I, we got her a pet passport and we were going to bring her out, but you know, she's, she's just, she, she fainted in a, in a, in a summer in the UK. So I really don't think she'd have fared that well. I had the um, same thing. I had um, a pug and, um, oh, yeah. yeah. And I couldn't bring him out either because likewise in the summer, Clapham Common, he couldn't cope with the heat there. So he was rehomed um, with a lovely family and he grew up with his young family and he passed yeah. away last year my, oh, my baby yeah my first son yeah. <laughs> my, see, my box is still going she's just turned 12 um but she's with my parents so when we got back from Dubai we didn't really want to take her away from that life that really no. only she knew because yeah. she had moved when, to my parents house when she was so young um so yeah so she's still going but yeah she's um she's uh not so impressed that we now have a new puppy (laughs) (laughs) does live with us um but yeah she's she's a funny thing but yeah so we just didn't we didn't didn't we didn't really want to take her out thank goodness we didn't yeah Yeah. absolutely absolutely (laughs) and what about um so stanley is your first baby when did he come along so he was born um we i kind of moved to dubai after we got married in january 2011 and he was born in april 2012 so it was a year and a bit after we had moved to Dubai. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, I think, the point that I started to really settle in Dubai. I don't think I really liked it until I was pregnant and I met other pregnant mums and I kind of found a network for myself. Um, I didn't work. I worked from home, so I didn't have a, an, you know, an office to yeah. join, and to meet people. And I was very lonely and I just loved 
London living and was very, um, you know, I had a sign on our wall that said, when you're tired of London, you're tired of life. And I <laughs> looked at it every morning and I just thought I need to be back there. I just miss it so much. And then I was pregnant with Stanley and I met um, through, um, do you remember the forum expat woman? Well, I, I know. that's where I met my crew as well, my original, going to the coffee mornings. Yes, exactly. Well, no, I didn't go to a coffee morning. We kind of, there was like a, there was like a thread um, due in April 2012 on there. Um, back in the day, you know, before Facebook groups yes, existed. No, how yeah. you, you met people, it was on Expat Woman and um, somebody on the thread said, let's meet up. So we all met um, in JBR one morning, heavily, well, we weren't that heavily pregnant at the time, but we all met and there must have been about 12 of us wow. all from different parts of the world. And um you know, as time went on, those numbers kind of dwindled, but I'm still in touch with so many of them. That's amazing. Very good friends with, um, I'd say like six of them. So yeah. So it's, um, that became my, my support network as a mum. It's incredible really, because I think when you're pregnant, you can, and living in a foreign country, you can go one of two ways where you feel very isolated and alone and, and, and pine for home and, and your home comforts or do what you did and really kind of, that that's how you find your roots by by networking and, and meeting yeah. people and that's that's amazing yeah and I think um that's when I totally embraced Dubai and just I mean I do I do think that you know Dubai is an amazing place to have a young family mm-hmm. and having my first baby made me appreciate that and um the hospital experience was was great each time I felt quite lucky that I got to have the babies in those environments um and those friends that I met when I was pregnant with my first kind of then subsequently had children roughly the same time as me second and some of them third as well so we kind of just had this um real I guess a very similar to I guess NCT in the UK um but finding them really changed everything and suddenly I was all like in you know my husband previously had been very much let's stay in you know I love Dubai and I've been like I don't and then we kind of swapped and I was suddenly very much in I love Dubai and I don't want to ever leave because this is all I know and I guess as a mum the way that you you know very small things right down from paediatricians to you know the kids going to school and nursery if that's all you know it becomes your normal Mm -hmm. and um, for me that that was the way that motherhood worked because that's the only way I knew it. And I kind of came back to the UK when Mabel was nine months old and somebody said, where's her red book? And I was like, what is a red book? <laughs> I give you like all of her injection records for each, you know, for the hospitals that she was born, you know, they give you a book when they're born and that's what you use as your gospel. Um, but I have no idea what this red book is. Um, and everyone kind of looked at me and they were like, and you know, and, do you pay for your dental treatment? And I was like, of course I pay for my dental treatment. Like, what are you talking about? And they're like, but you're entitled to free. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, it's all like so baffling to try and relearn a whole system. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dubai, like by my third baby had become, you know, I knew everything. And I guess also the fact that I wrote for Time Out Kids. So I knew all of the services and I, I learned so much um, about the way that motherhood worked in Dubai and it, you know as each child was born it became even more like um I just became kind of even more aware of how everything worked and um I loved it I love I loved having the children there and um certainly by number three uh, by n- number one of course you have to learn on your feet don't you yeah um 
how were their um how were their pregnancies and births um i was very lucky with um the pregnancies and i guess the births i never really had any problems um they just don't like coming out that's the problem with my babies um, <laughs> so the first time um i went overdue and i was with american hospital the first time mm -hmm. and um, i went to see my obstetrician and she said okay so when do you want to book in to be induced and it was literally the day that i was due and i didn't really understand that you should wait because no one had ever said that to me they just you know you kind of take what your obstetrician says as gospel so i just said oh i don't know like when should i get booked in and she said well i can do tomorrow and i went wow okay yeah okay great um and we did and luckily we had you know it was no complications and it was all fine but by the second baby i was like no i'd learnt you know and i think you throw after you have your first baby you you try and throw yourself into learning more about how it all works where and um i think with my first i possibly didn't do that much research because i think it scared me a bit to read up on birth by the second one I, it didn't scare me anymore so i kind of learned that lots of people would rather just go naturally and wait so i thought i want to try this natural thing you know i've done the induction um and i waited <laughs> and of course he didn't want to come so um he was induced a bit later i think possibly like a week and a bit after he was due um, and i had another this was at city hospital this time i've done the rounds of dubai hospitals and um we've had a few more been built since you've left don't worry <laughs> yeah i know everyone keeps telling me i feel like i'm, I'm losing my touch with knowing yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah so he was born it was very again like much quicker than the first time and complication free and it was fine and i actually preferred it that time it was a much more the baby wasn't really taken away from me, whereas in American he was. Um, really? And then Mabel was born in Alzara. And I <laughs> so you did do the rounds. <laughs> I really did, yeah. Um, but only because my obstetrician kept changing his <laughs> mind on where he wanted to, you know, practice. Um, and, she, you know, I really was determined with Mabel that I did not, I really wanted to do, you know, this is my last baby, I wanted to do it naturally. And... Um, I waited but she really just wasn't coming and that was i mean i think i went i don't think i went as far as two weeks but i was nearly there by the time that she came um there was just no signs at all just didn't have any signs that it was she gonna was, happen actually. she was so cozy they just don't like coming out i sometimes <laughs> wonder you know there's this theory that you know we all have different gestation times and mine yep. would just go on like 10 months if no <laughs> if no I don't, no, it's very so, true. And there's, um, I think it's France. They, they don't give a date. They give like a month or yeah. like a, a, or yeah, within like a month range of your baby will yeah. come within this time at some point. And it's kind of takes the pressure off as well. Um, knowing you've got this one date to go to sort of move towards and. Yeah. Um, I feel like, you know, I think you really, you do learn after your first baby that it's not, that isn't the date, but I think with your first, you're very fixated on that date and absolutely, you yeah. count, you literally count down to it, don't you? And, I'd circled it on the calendar and, and then you get past it and you're like, hang on. Nothing's happened. <laughs> yeah. And psychologically you're so ready for that baby by that point and um, you're kind of done with it. And so when your doctor turns around and says, do you want to be induced tomorrow and you don't know any differently, you do agree. Absolutely. Um, yeah. No, I understand. Yeah. And what was it like going from one to two to two to three? 
I think the hardest time I've had as a mum um, was one to two. Um, but really because at the time I was, I wasn't driving in Dubai yet. I learned, I kind of forced myself to drive in Dubai after the second. So I was kind of a bit stranded. There was just a lot of things that happened. Like we were living in an apartment in the marina and they were digging up the tram line. Oh no. To get, yeah. to get my eldest to nursery, I had to cross that tram line and I had to cross it with a double buggy dragging it through sand, literally backwards. Well, this um, is always my thing about, because um, I used to live at the marina as well when Bertie was a baby, and um, the, the paths aren't big enough. And then all no. of a sudden they would put um, like a ticket uh, thing in the middle of the path. So you'd have to either yeah. go onto the grass or go onto the road. And then when the tram was finally built, again, it wasn't big enough for you to be able to move a, a buggy yeah. around it. So I don't yeah. know how people do it now because we left. Um, I don't know. So tricky. Um, I mean, there are areas that are slightly more buggy friendly, aren't there? Like oh, promenade. Yeah, absolutely. But Amazing. But the actual it, accessing points where you need, yeah. you need to go from A to but, B. I mean, I can't even, like, I used to take pictures at the window to show my family what I was having to deal with to get them across the road to nursery. And they were just like, you're not really going over that wooden plank over the track. And I, <laughs> I like, remember yeah. that. And it's like, I was having to drag him through sand because there was no pavement. Yes. Like, drag the two of them backwards through sand with this giant double buggy. Get across the road somehow. Go over a wooden plank over the track. And then somehow negotiate the sand again the other side. And, you know, you do it because you think, if I get him to nursery, I've got a day with the newborn and it'll be, life will be much easier. But really, it's like, when I look back now, I can't quite believe what I was doing because... Life is so much easier now. I literally walk out my door and my car's there. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, well, that's the other thing about apartment living, isn't it? That you have to get yeah. in the lift, you have to go down the lift. And... The amount of, you know, like, oh. And, and also, I sometimes I forget that I was doing this in like 45 degrees. And, you know, I was like obsessed at that point with putting sun cream on them. You know, I soon learned that I didn't need to do it for like the shortest little journeys. But at the beginning, I was like, I need to put Factor 50 on them. So I was doing that just for this like five minute walk. And then like, oh, uh, you know, trying to get over this assault course and to get into nursery. But yeah, that time was um, pretty dark as a mum. I don't think I had postnatal depression, but I think um, the circumstances were just so hard that mm-hmm. um, it was definitely the hardest time I've, I've had. And I think that really didn't change until we moved to a slightly bigger apartment where I didn't feel quite so trapped and um, we got some help at home finally. I kind of finally realised that I just couldn't do it all on my own and I was quite stubborn I think when I first moved to Dubai that I was going to do it on my own, I wasn't going to go down the road of getting a nanny Um, and work you know increased um, as time went on and I started the blog and I was still working for a lot of magazines in Dubai. And I just thought eventually I've got to get some help because I can't, I'm, I'm turning down work, which I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And I can't look after the kid, you know, almost like I was kind of brushing the kids off, like putting the TV on or yeah. Yeah. them like my, my phone or whatever. And I kind of thought in the end, I'm just going to, I'm going to do it. I think what I didn't appreciate at the time is that most you know, mums in the UK don't have nannies because they have a lot more support network. Um, and we just don't have that in Dubai. And I, you know, I didn't realise how much like mums in the UK did get help from their family. Not everybody, but a lot of mums. And I would have done if I'd had children in the UK 
my in-laws and my parents would have been very involved. Um, but I wasn't aware of that really, because I'd never had that situation. So um, I kind of stubbornly tried to do it on my own for a very long time. And then Janice joined our family and life became so much better. Yeah, so you should say it's like really popular out, really common, perhaps is a better word, to have a nanny in Dubai um, for, for all of those reasons that you've said. And, um, and also because I think one of the main reasons we, we have Monica working with us is that you want to know who you're leaving your children with. So there are times where you do have to work or you do want to go out as a couple um, by yourselves and have a meal. Um, and you, you want to have a relationship and a good relationship with the person um, that you're that, that are looking after your your pressured you know yeah. your precious babies so and I um, think yeah I mean I think in you know in, in that situation now we have a great babysitter now um who works at a local nursery and babysits for us in the evening and she's fantastic and she's recommended from friends and I really trust her but in the early days it would just be our parents that we trusted with the yeah. kids and mm -hmm. I think if if I kind of imagine myself having the children in the UK I definitely think in the early days that our parents would have played such a key role in those moments we needed either to work or to have some time as a couple. Um, and I don't know, I think sometimes I, in Dubai, I kind of, I didn't appreciate that. I didn't appreciate that we didn't have that support network. And um, when we got her and she was amazing and the kids, she literally loved the kids like they were her own. Um, especially Mabel because you know she was involved right through the yeah. pregnancy and her coming home and um you know it's only when we had her that I kind of thought I get it now like I totally get why why people do it because um it just it opened up life and took the pressure off and I just had she didn't even actually have that much involvement with the kids because I was still quite hands-on and with Mabel she did because I was working quite a lot by them mm -hmm. but with the boys they were at school anyway so um but it was just the backup of like knowing that, you know, when Mabel was asleep, I didn't have to drag her out of the cot to go to the school run. And um, if I had a meeting in the morning, I didn't have to drag Mabel along to go to that meeting and then, you know, sit there breastfeeding while trying to talk, <laughs> <laughs> trying to talk about collaborations with brands um, and, you know, to have that date night. And we were very lucky. I do appreciate that we were lucky to have it as well because it wasn't just the kind of emotional backup and support, but we did have a nice life with being able to go for dinner in the evening. Or mm -hmm. my husband and I quite often used to go for swims in the evening in our community pool. Oh, that's and nice. Janice would just open her door um, and make sure she was there, you know, could hear if the kids woke up and we would just go out and swim and um, for and so we exercised and it was just, it did make life easier. Um, and I think at times I, I felt quite guilty that I had that because it isn't what my friends had in the UK, but I also never really appreciated that I would have had family to support me because that's not what I'd ever had. So um, I think perhaps in hindsight, I gave myself quite a hard time over it. Um, and now I think, I, just I, think I think a lot of people do. I think you've got two camps of either someone who just doesn't think about it and gets someone or like beats them. I'm, I'm, I'm more of a beater upper. Um, so yeah. they beat themselves up and, when I first moved to Dubai, I was like, cleaner, what? No, la, 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 la. Yeah. I don't want anyone coming into my house. And, but it's, it's not an impossible to, yeah. to live, to, to exist, to work, to, um, to do anything if you haven't got yeah, some, and I think, some form of support. I think the other thing that I think possibly like, I want to kind of point out to people, 
who don't understand the maid culture in Dubai is that it's actually illegal to have part-time people. Mm-hmm. So um, you can't just kind of ring somebody up like a babysitter and say, can you do tonight? It is a case of either paying an agency staff, which is extremely expensive, and there's no consistency because it's yeah. someone different each time, or it's getting someone to join your family and that's your two options. And I think that's why I kind of held off for so long because I did just want the flexibility of being able to just find a babysitter mm-hmm. um, and say, you know, I want to go on a date night tonight. Can you come? Which you just, you're not allowed to do. Um, you have to go by the agency route, which you can't guarantee it's the same person every time. Absolutely. And I didn't want that for the kids. So, I think the other um, thing as well is like, if we were living in the UK or continue to live in the UK, then you have friends. You, you've got long, yeah. lifelong friends that you can trust and, and ask them yeah. to, to babysit maybe now and yeah. again. Whereas again, over here, you're like, I was very similar to you, brand new yeah. in, in the country. And so you don't know many people. Um, <laughs> Or the people you do know have just had their own babies. So why do they want to babysit for yours? Yeah, I mean, I had, I had really good friends in Dubai, but we all had children at the same age and um, they were all young. And, um, you know, I didn't really want to, I had three kids. I didn't really want to say to like my friend, Elena, who had two children, young children of her own, or by, you know, can you have the kids tonight? Because I want to do this, you know, it just wasn't. Whereas now, you know, my sister is around, my parents are around, my in-laws are around. And I have babysitters um, that I can call and there's a lot more flexibility um, and there's a kind of a bigger support network that I can call on. Um, so yeah, it's different. Yeah. Um, and I kind of wish, I really wish with hindsight that I didn't beat myself up about that because I, I actually wish I'd done it a lot earlier. I think that would have made life a lot easier. So you started the blog when, is it when Wilf was four months old? Yeah, so he was... Is that right? Yeah, it was May 2014. So he was four months old. Um, and what, why, why, what, was the, what was the thought process behind starting that? So the main um, reason I started it is because um, I had two boys and I was really frustrated by every, I guess, uh, shop in Dubai, like everywhere being so girl focused when it came to clothes so on my it's getting better it is oh, getting better I, I, think, um, I don't know about Dubai but it certainly is here um but my my background was in fashion journalism and when I had kids I was so excited and I actually wanted boys I was so excited to dress them that was like I wanted to go and shop when I was pregnant and I was so frustrated you know walking into H&M and seeing this wall of gorgeous, like ditzy floral prints for girls and mm-hmm. beautiful colours, and going to the boys' section and seeing a tractor like smacked on a t-shirt or a really nice plain blue navy polo shirt, and then like number six like stamped on the arm, and like I just found it so uninspiring and so boring that I started to buy their clothes from America and get them sent over, and also stores in the UK, um, and. I kind of was on Instagram at this point and I kind of said, would people be interested if I started a blog of all the things that I found for them? And everyone was like, yes, please. You know, we struggle with our boys as well. So I started it kind of, I guess the main motivation was for kind of fashion buys for boys. Um, And then uh, because I was writing for Time Out Kids at the time, I was doing this, um, kind of diary at the on the back I don't know if they do it anymore but um it was like a diary of a real mum at the back 
and it was doing really well. Like people were saying to me, I read your, I buy time out kids for your column and I love it. And it was quite funny. And I thought maybe I should do a few of them on the blog as well, because I can do it for myself rather than for somebody else. And so I started to write more and, um, that kind of, I guess, over time kind of overtook the fashion stuff. I still did the odd shopping post at that point, but for quite a long time, it became my outlet to kind of talk about motherhood, kind of mixing funnier posts with more emotional posts, Mm -hmm. um, depending on what mood I was in at the time. (laughs) Um, And one particular post kind of went viral quite early on, um, which was called 10 Things to Consider Before You Have Number Two. And it was, you know, things, it was talking about the difference between pregnancy one and pregnancy two and having the babies. Um, And it was things like, you know, you better get used to Peppa Pig and things like this um, to keep, uh, you know, and if people, people will say um, in, with your first baby um, that they don't, uh, can they come around? You'll be like, no way. Like, and then number two, you're like, yes, come around and take number two out for a walk, number one out for a walk, please. You know? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not phrasing it very well, but it was quite, um, it was in the early days of those kind of funny blog posts. There weren't many people doing it Mm -hmm. and, um, it went really viral. I put it on Facebook and within like minutes, there were like hundreds of likes, then like thousands of likes and it kind of went a bit crazy. And I got, i managed to build my following kind of, it all stemmed from there. So I tried to replicate that and it, it kind of flew. Um, and then that kind of overtook the fashion stuff. Um, eventually although it has kind of come full circle now and I'm back doing more of the shopping stuff yeah um, which is quite nice yeah lovely and then um I'm really fascinated by your story of of moving back to the UK because am I right that you you went home for the summer and then just decided not to come back yeah so we went we got we went home every summer um you know I really did go home like sometimes for like two three months like I didn't enjoy summers in Dubai does anyone enjoy summers in Dubai (laughs) is that a thing I I know that some mums come back just for a couple of weeks I really did escape for the entire summer but that you know I was lucky that my parents would have us Mm -hmm. um and um we came back for our summer and Wilfred my middle child was about to start school um in September so he was about to go into FS1 at his brother's school and um we had talked about moving back to the uk like my husband was really done with dubai i was the one that wanted to stay um he had been done with dubai for years and we'd kind of compromised that we would stay a bit longer Mm -hmm. um but he was really over it really desperate to move back and you know eventually what 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 was his thought he just didn't have it he worked very long hours and he didn't have the friends that I had yeah. because all of his hours were at work and his industry, um, you know, they, they work silly hours and they not always the nicest people. Um, and I think, you know, he would go out with clients a lot, but he just didn't have time to create. You know, he didn't have time to play sport and join teams and become make friends that way. So for him, Dubai was very work. It wasn't, you know, a happy life. Yeah. in terms of a social life yeah. um so he wanted to come home he wanted to join our rugby team again he wanted to see his friends from uni and we have all you know throughout Dubai his friends his his very close friends remained his UK friends and he just always looked forward to the day when he could go back um and he's very sociable so he missed 
having that social um, network in, in Dubai. So he wanted, but, but, but I, you know, as I had children, my very close friends, um, I had close friends in the UK, but, um, you know, my mum friends were yeah. in Dubai mm -hmm. and um, I still had very young children. So I wanted to be with them. And um, so I didn't want, I didn't want to leave. And I also wanted to have my third child in Dubai. Um, I knew I wanted three children and I wanted to do it in Dubai. So um, that was also a reason we stayed longer than perhaps he wanted to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we both just kind of over that summer talked about Wilfred starting school. And we just thought perhaps it was better to not go down that road in Dubai and to, um, uh, if we were going to do it in the next few years, to not drag him away from that school because we, our eldest had started school and he absolutely loved it and he was so he had such lovely friends and we just thought we can't do this to two children to drag them away from it so mm -hmm. we just made that decision um to leave and our landlord offered us the chance to leave our place early um wow. so we were like actually we're going to do it now because i don't know when we'll get this chance again because you yeah. kind of renew don't you each year and then mm -hmm then you're stuck like yeah. another year and you've got you've got that those checks that um that have been written so um we were like let's take this chance and um he did go back he went back for i think it was nearly six months he finished his contract um he moved us out of um the villa and shipped everything back um but we we stayed and we I think we made the decision like two weeks before school started in the UK. So it was. So did you literally just have drop. like your summer suitcases and that was it? Was that all you had? Yeah, but because we had been coming back to my parents for so, you know, every Christmas and every summer, my mum had a really good setup. So the kids had all of their kind of um, going into winter clothes. They were in okay. the UK. Yeah. and they had their bedrooms you know my parents have got a big house so they had their own bedroom while well, the boys were together and Mabel was with me she was a baby mm -hmm. um uh and you know it wasn't my mom I always drove my mom's car when I was back in the UK so I had a good setup it wasn't like I was suddenly kind of homeless um I would never have done it if I didn't have that set up and yeah and then we we got them into a school and um, then it was a rush job to get their uniform. And but, yeah, was anything left? <laughs> yeah. And then he went back and obviously like it was, you know, in Dubai, you, you needed shorts and a polo shirt and trainers. Yeah. And then I get to the UK and I'm like, you need coats and you need wellies and you need long trousers and you need jumpers and it was just the most endless list um and it was the thing shop. i always i always say about here like it, the clothing's expensive but you don't really need that much of it so yeah. and it kind of balances out doesn't it yeah exactly um yeah i mean especially with the boys it was so easy just all they have was like denim shorts and like t-shirts um and they you know now i'm like they've got all these well they've grown out of them now but for a while they had all these cool t-shirts and no one ever saw them because they, <laughs> they run under jumpers, jumpers. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and we had to like change, you know, um, what we bought, but, uh, yeah. So, um, Charlie went back and he, I mean, he literally put everything on the ship, um, which was difficult at this end because we were getting things out of that, sh uh, container that we really didn't need. <laughs> and I, I think if I had been involved in that process, there would have been a lot of stuff sold or left, um, you know that, that we eventually got in our house in Kent so yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've heard stories but, of um, 
removal companies in Dubai actually moving your your rubbish bin and your the contents of your rubbish bin ending up in your new villa so I, I hope you didn't go to that extent <laughs> no no he didn't um but yeah he, he did make some strange decisions um but yeah <laughs> which we've only just actually having just moved house we've only just um we've just moved from the house that we we moved into after we left Dubai and we've moved on now and we did have to get a skip because we had to dump all of that Dubai stuff um, <laughs> but we just hadn't even like you know we had a rule that if we haven't looked we haven't used it for the last three years we don't, yeah, we don't need it exactly um, good one and we uh we oh, we had filled a shed in that garden with stuff that had come back from Dubai that we didn't need but <laughs> then got slung in that skip so um so yeah we only just kind of shrugged those things in the last few weeks but um he did a good job really you know he with the help of my nanny who stayed on um, for a few months to help us tidy up and she was amazing. She would send me photos, she would line things up and send me photos to the UK and she would be like, what do you want to keep out of this picture? And then I would like, <laughs> literally draw on the photo. Nice, I love it. <laughs> I mean, without her, it really would have been another story completely. So yeah, she was great as well. Uh, honestly, I admire you, the thought of, um asking my husband to pack up the house uh, fills me with chills <laughs> and how how did the boys take it um because obviously they thought they were going back for the summer and then they were coming back to Dubai how, yeah how how did that conversation oh, go it we were kind of we were dreading telling them because the eldest um did just love his school and his friends so much um and we basically told them on the way to go and look at their new school um, oh wow <laughs> um which was only like a few days after we had made the decision. Um, and he went, they both, they, they both went, I mean, Mabel was a baby, so she wasn't involved in this. She was there, but she was a baby. Um, and they both went, yay. And then they went, hang on. <laughs> and Sunny went, what about my friends? And that's when like my heart broke. And I was like, oh God, I thought, you know, for a second, I thought this was going so well. Um, and, you know, for a few days, he asked a lot about his friends and his school and his nanny. He was sad about that and then he started school and about a week in we had like a parents evening that we went to um and the ta of his class came out to me in the corridor and she said you wouldn't have any idea that he was new like he's thrown himself into it he's made such good friends and he's really happy and i would say that since that day which was like a week after he started he's probably mentioned dubai once a month if that um oh. it will come up in conversation and actually funnily enough this week we had a chat about it in the car you know it often comes up at strange times and he said to me i'm i'm really pleased we came back because i i would be really sad if we weren't with nana and granddad now and granny and granddad um so yeah and this is when i get really emotional yeah. so how he was five what, so he was when we moved back okay, he was like a can't even um, he's eight now so he was five yeah five, wow. and Wilfred was three and Mabel was nine months oh gosh and um, does Wilfred remember Dubai Wilfred's got the most incredible memory yeah he remembers so much about Dubai he remembers small details that I don't even remember but I think that's partly due to his character he kind of notices things Wilfred he's a real he's quite quiet but he takes everything in mm -hmm um and he remembers but then you know i wonder sometimes with children of this generation how much they remember and how much photos trigger yeah, i 100 agree with you yeah 
Um, and we, you know, I did a lot of videos when we lived in Dubai. I did a lot of vlogging. Yeah. Um, and we don't, we don't watch them very regularly, but occasionally I'll put them on. And I think, you know, in, different to when we were children, we're just, we, we didn't have those videos to keep the memories alive. I don't think he's remembering through the videos, but I think the videos possibly are keeping the memories alive for him mm -hmm. in a way that perhaps it wouldn't have if he wasn't watching them. Um, and we have a lot of pictures up of Dubai in our house, um, which he remembers. Um, I think Stanley as well, they're very close, the boys. Um, and I think they talked quite a lot about it together initially. And I think his memories often are quite interlaced with what Stanley remembers as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I'd like to bring them back. We we made a decision not to bring them back too early. We really wanted them to settle in the UK. Um, but I would like to bring them back, possibly like at the five-year point, and see what they remember. Well, you know, um, you might not remember because it's probably changed so much in five this years. Is the same, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've had friends tell me that they've been back for holidays and found things quite strange. Yeah. Because it's a very different place when you live there to mm -hmm. coming back mm -hmm. and um, kind of being out of that expat loop. And friends said to me, you know, if you're feeling any kind of emotion about leaving just leave it a bit longer because um, it's I can, not the same. Yeah, I can really resonate with that with going back to London because I lived in London for seven, yeah. eight years. And then whenever I've gone back, it's like, it just feels like a foreign country. It's yeah. strangest, the strangest, like very displacing. Um, even going back to my own flat that I still still own, it doesn't feel like it belongs no, to me. You feel kind of out the loop, don't very you? Very much so. It's a strange um, feeling. And you kind of feel like... You know, when we when we lived in Dubai, we often used to talk about how we've got two homes, and um, it's true. Like I do still feel like I had this. I mean, I, three years later, I don't feel like Dubai's my home at all. I feel like I'm very settled here, but I do feel like that will always be a special place to me, and those memories will be especially, um, especially because the kids were born there. I think. Yeah, and, of course, um, of course. But I do, but I do feel like you know. I felt perhaps like for a long time I would feel like I was a bit displaced and that I had two homes. I don't feel like that. I do feel like um, it's special, but I don't feel like I have two homes and I don't feel torn in the way that I thought I would. Um, and that, you know, I read a lot about, I think initially you do. I think perhaps for the first year you feel like you don't have almost the same identity because you were an expat and that was your identity and when you came back for summers you were the expat that had come back from mm. Dubai um, and I think for the first year it's quite difficult to find your identity again but I think going into year two year three um, I do feel very much like this is my home and that I had this amazing experience in the desert and I'm really pleased we did it um, I'm really thankful that we took the chance to do it especially when we did it because I think it would be much harder to move um later on when your children are older um but i don't i don't kind of miss it in the way that i thought i would if yeah. that makes any kind of sense no, absolutely it does do you still keep in touch with janice no um we did initially so she went we were very lucky with janice because um her sister worked for a very close friend of mine and um when we left i was so worried about her she was really heartbroken um, and my friend Katie um, took Janice in for a while um, and so she could just be with her sister and then found her a job in the same community so that the oh, two nice. sisters could work in the same community and be together 
and so we were just so lucky and then Katie would give me reports about how she was and I would send pictures of the kids to Janice but I didn't want to upset her so I wouldn't do it too regularly and she would write back you know for the first probably six months she'd write back madame you know I'm so sad I miss the kids and it would just kind of break my heart and then six months later the lady that she had gone to work for had a baby because she was pregnant when she had gone to work for her and I sent the regular pictures of what had been happening the last month or so and she wrote back and said, Madame, that's great. Here's my new baby. Oh. And, and I was like, this is the point that I now feel she's okay. I think yeah. she just missed having children around. And um, I did kind of follow up after that, but it was all news about the new baby. And I thought I might just leave it now because I think she knows where I am if she wants me. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to, you know, she seems happy. So I kind of left it at that point. Yeah. Um, it was funny because I never really knew whether Janice was aware that I had a blog. And I kind of felt, always felt a bit funny, like when she was working with me that I didn't want to point out, by the way, Janice, you know, I've got a blog if you want to follow it. You know, I didn't want to ever say that. (laughs) And then afterwards I wondered whether I should point her towards it um, so that she could still keep up with the kids. Um, But never kind of did. I kind of felt a bit funny that I'd never mentioned it originally and then was just going to drop it on her. Um, So still to this day, I don't know whether she follows it or not. Oh, how Um, funny. Oh, that's really yeah, that's tricky, isn't it? I suppose it's almost like a conversation you never have. Oh, by the way, this is what I do. It's just like, yeah, exactly. I've, I've got to go to work now. Or can you watch yeah. this while I work these hours? And and I think, you know, with, with possibly with like blogging, it's, it's kind of a complex thing to explain. Mm-hmm. Whereas just saying I'm a journalist, which I was as well, was just kind of easier. Yeah. Um, so I never really kind of went into the, the blog. And she, you know, she started working for us quite shortly after the blog started so it was still early days it wasn't really my job it was more of a hobby yeah um so yeah <laughs> so she may follow me Maybe <laughs> yeah hi Janice, <laughs> hi, Janice. <laughs> so Louise you have um you've written two books now yes um and I have recently listened I've listened sorry I don't have the time to read oh okay. no but I don't like the audio did you listen to the first one I really liked it oh okay. what, but it's what? funny because I don't, because the because when you write a book, the characters you have a that, voice in your head. That like wasn't the, the right voice. Is that right? Wasn't right. Oh no! So I wonder whether all authors feel like that when they listen to their books. Because um, you know, I was sent a sample of the audio, and I wrote back with some very detailed feedback. Um, <laughs> they did change. They did change some things, but it's you know, it will never match the voice that I had in my head. It just just can't. Did so, you never want to do the audio yourself? Um, no, with fiction, um, they you you wouldn't because it's you can't, actors. Okay. Oh, yeah. I see. Okay, um, fair enough. With 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 nonfiction, you would read it yourself. Yeah, generally, or you'd be but, given the chance to. Yeah. Um, but with fiction, yeah, they'd have actors do it. Um, yeah. Oh, I understand. Well, as a person who didn't write the book, it it, it came across really well. I okay. I, I, I think it worked. <laughs> so yeah. your first book is called From Mum with Love, and um. Obviously, it's about blogging, and so the obvious question is about how much um, similarities are there between the book and and your own experience. Um, and I wanted to start with um, the negative comments uh, that you mentioned that happen in like the negative stories that have happened in the book. Um, and I I wanted um, like, have you had negative comments? And and if you have, how how have you dealt with them? Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> I think um 
I've been quite lucky um, as as kind of bloggers or influencers go. I haven't had a huge amount of criticism. My followers seem to, the bulk of them have seemed to have followed me since the early days and kind of their families have grown with mine and they're kind and they're really kind, lovely people. And I think because my following grew on Facebook, I think that had a big impact because on Facebook, you're not anonymous. Yeah. You are you and your pictures there and your family and friends can see if you comment. Whereas Instagram, I think people that grew on Instagram, it's so easy to set up anonymous accounts, to send private messages. Um, so I'll start by saying that I really have been lucky and I love my followers and they are so supportive and they're just, they, and you know, certain people that have been following me since the early days and I recognize their name and they've, they're just nice, nice people. Um, mm-hmm. but of course, you know, living your life kind of in the public eye to some extent, you do also get criticism. Um, and that's okay. Like not everyone's going to agree with me. Um, and certainly when you write on very controversial, controversial subjects, such as like breastfeeding or, um, you know, I did a review of a, um, uh, baby sleep consultant and there are so many different views in what should be done and what shouldn't be done. So of course, on subjects like that, you expect, I try and, I try and not make it too controversial. I try and always say, obviously not everyone will agree with this or I try not to be too controversial. That's just generally what I've done since the beginning. But it's not things like that that really bother me. It's the more I, you know, in the early days, it really upset me if you got a, if you got a, a, a message or a comment that was just quite personal or nasty. Mm-hmm. But now, and how many? So Wolf six. So it's been going for six years. I really do just try and think it's more a reflection on their day. And the way they're feeling absolutely than um than how than me so i can genuinely say that it's very rare that it affects me now i do i would say get probably two or three messages a week that or, or comments that aren't that nice um wow. that don't agree with me or you know literally like yesterday i probably had like three um but it's very like as I said like I honestly will read them and I don't feel anything like I don't feel you know occasionally I'll bite back if it's something that I feel quite strongly about but generally I do just ignore them and I do really it's I've just become more and more aware as time's gone on that that person is having a really bad day and I think at the moment in 2020 there's a lot of people struggling yeah and I think in the UK I'm lucky at the moment touch wood that in my area there isn't many cases and I've got more freedom than some people so I get quite a lot of lot of messages for example at the moment if I say my friend came over for coffee I will get a message saying well you're just lucky that your friend can come for coffee and it gets quite nasty and I just think I know that person's having a really bad time I could put myself in their shoes and I would be struggling too I get why they've done it and I think if you can kind of distance yourself from it being a personal thing yeah. and just being that they are, they are kind of um, spewing their feelings via yeah. that comment, because that's the only thing at that time that they think is going to make them feel better. Um, and it's released. Like I, I just have developed a thick skin in that respect. And I, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very rare that it will affect me and it's going to be way more personal if it's going to affect me than just being told you're not 
being sensitive to the fact that I can't have coffee with my friend because I think you know if you were in my boots you would be having coffee with your friends so so I just I just yeah I just think um I do get them to answer to go back to your question I do get them and regularly but I'm generally lucky and I try to um remember that it's just more about them than me I I know recently you got um told off for doing funny covid um (laughs) comments but you made my day because then you had like an influx of them um and we we can't post them out here they're illegal out here so yeah you're not allowed to post anything funny about covid so (laughs) I I had a great a great dog walk scrolling through yours and chuckling away (laughs) yeah um again like I get that some people don't find covid funny I don't find covid funny but I do Uh, think you have to you have to have a laugh as well I really do think that you have to see and I and I'm very much like you know I have had you know certain things happen in my life that have been really horrendous and even then I've been able to laugh because I just think that if you can't laugh then that's when things get really dark um and my husband especially he's got a great sense of humor and he's kind of taught me to laugh at things and um you know even if we have a row it will get broken up with with a joke and that's just (laughs) the way we are and um is that really frustrating like don't make me laugh I'm cross with you yeah I think in the early days because I was quite argumentative and I and I did you know wanted him to argue back and he would just make a joke (laughs) (laughs) and be like argue with me um but now you know obviously I'm very very pleased I married someone that can make me laugh because I think that's um, yeah (laughs) it's essential and um, I think you've touched on this already a bit because uh, when you were talking about having the babies in Dubai but um in your book, you talk about the support that um, your main character gets from her parents in the early days. And did you write that in a way that that was something you wish you had? Um, or if, if you'd been in the I UK, kind of, that's how you'd envisaged it would have been? I certainly don't wish that I'd have the kids in the UK. I don't ever regret having them in Dubai. And I, I, I actually feel lucky that I got to do it there. Um, but I, I did, I guess, when I was writing the book, try and imagine what life would have been like. Because, of course, like when you're writing a book and the main character of this book, um, Jessica, isn't me. Like she has a very different experience to motherhood that I had. But in order to write a character that people um, emphasise with and grow to love, you really have to make them real. Mm-hmm. And the only way that you can do that when writing a character is to put yourself in their shoes. So, of course, like when I was writing about her having her first baby I did think what would my parents have done and her parents are very different to my parents my I they're the characters aren't my parents but you know most parents I guess if they lived down the road and Jessica lives down the road from her parents they would have been there in the early days of um, that baby being born and so yeah in some respects yeah of course I put myself in her shoes I put myself in the shoes of every character that I write to try and make them real um but um but they aren't, yeah, but they aren't, they aren't, she is not me and they, her parents are not my parents, but yeah. Okay. I hope that doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, it does, it does, absolutely. And then I wanted to ask about Michael, your character Michael, and I wondered if he was based on your experience losing your brother. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, um, again, writing a book, you, you write about what you know, so for me, um, motherhood was a huge topic that I could write about with real feeling and also um, losing somebody like I have an inside um, experience of what it's like to lose 
somebody in your immediate family and the feelings that then follow. Um, I didn't really want to it to happen to Jess. I didn't want it to be so intrinsic to the story that, because obviously that would change everything. Yeah. Um, but I wanted it to be in there because it's life and it's something that I can talk about with um, real, like, I guess, honesty. And, mm-hmm. um, and also, like, I think when somebody dies in your immediate family, you suddenly become aware that it's happened to so many people. You, we always, you know, used to joke that we were part of a club that we never wanted to be in because as soon as it happened, people were messaging me like, like, and this is the way before the days of kind of, you know, social media um, and blogs, but, you know, family and friends saying, well, you're in the club now, you know, and, um, and you realise that, you know, even when talking to people every day, that so many people have lost a parent or a sibling or, um, an aunt or an uncle they were very close to or a grandparent that they were extremely close to and um it's part of life and I guess I didn't want this book to all be this rosy uh, world where nothing goes wrong and um I think you know hopefully I, I tried to make it quite real and hopefully did it justice but um yeah so well, yes in some respects yes, I, I you know I think it um it just emphasizes the importance of, of just talking about things because at, at the moment, obviously it's baby loss awareness week. Um, and um, so there's lots of people talking about baby loss and the amount of messages that are coming through is insane um, from people who you would have no, no clue that this yeah. happened to them. So I guess talking is good. Um, and it came for me, it came across incredible. Like I was in floods trying to run. I was listening to you. I was running and I was like, oh, crying. I can't run. Um, yeah. So no, I, I, I think, yes, you did. You did do it justice. In oh, good. I'm pleased to hear that. But yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's obviously, it's a very sensitive subject and it's also something that, um, I think if you perhaps haven't been through it, it might be slightly harder to write because, um, you, I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but it's, obviously what happened to to Michael isn't what happened to me no. but it's those feelings um that people and certainly Jess's sister would have been feeling mm-hmm. when that happened so yeah. yeah thank you and so you've done two books uh what's any more plans for for more books to come oh, yes well <laughs> <laughs> now you mention it um, I'm sure there was some enthusiasm behind that somewhere <laughs> I just feel a bit um so uh, book number three was actually due by the summer, um, but then COVID happened and I had my kids at home. Um, so it, the deadline was stretched to October um, with the hope they might go back, you know, by half term and they yeah. didn't. So um, it's now been pushed to the end of the year. And it, to be honest, like it's on the why, <laughs> whether it's even going to happen by then. I am writing, but it's, getting harder and harder um to write but I think when I came back to the UK I really focused on writing because I didn't suddenly have this kind of almost like a business that I'd built around my blog in Dubai and I suddenly didn't have that so I had time to write whereas now I have kind of formed a business around my blog here and um it's harder to dedicate time to actually writing Mm -hmm. and I also write much better when I'm shut away in silence and I have my husband here (laughs) (laughs) who is now working from home again um and it's nice I love him being here like don't get me wrong I really do love him being here 
um, and it's made life a lot easier with the kids and the juggle of working with kids but um, it doesn't lend itself well to novel writing because mm-hmm. um, I just I almost need like four hour six hour blocks to yep. just write to get it done so I am in like I've, I've got 80,000 words to write and I've written uh, 15,000 so I have start I very much started I'm on chapter eight I think um, it's a completely different story this time it's not a follow-on does it feature it, a global um, pandemic no and actually it's funny well, I obviously started writing it before this happened but um I'm writing it now and I'm wondering like will it even be relevant like if this goes on for years like people are going to read this book and be like what world is this <laughs> no don't talk about it going on for years we I know those conversations I know but you know like there are scenes where there's lots of people and yeah. I'm like no uh, hang on a minute um so you know I don't know what the publishers will decide to do actually I don't know whether they'll decide to like um wait or whether yeah, they'll put exactly. it out but um but yeah no it's definitely not um related to 2020 although I imagine there are quite a lot of books in the making that will be oh, I'm sure and films um, and Hollywood yeah but none of us will want to watch them or see them because we'll all be sick of it no <laughs> so. we need a good like 20 years don't we yeah we... I, I want rainbows and marshmallows and yeah bunnies that type of thing yeah well sadly my book doesn't really it's quite it's much darker than the first two um it's kind of, I guess the first two books, because they follow on from each other, they, I wanted to start with something that I knew people would be interested in reading with the blogging and also um, that I knew enough about that I could mm-hmm. just literally just sit and start writing. But number, number three is more where I'd like to be as a writer. So it's, it's, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's a thriller, but it's definitely got twists and turns that um, are quite surprising compared to books one and two. It's, it's still about a mum but uh, things happen to her that um, aren't, yeah, it's, it's very different. It sounds amazing. No, it sounds amazing. <laughs> all in your head already. Do you, like, do you know the start um, and the end or do you make it up as you go? So with book one, um, so the way that fiction works in terms of publishing is that you have to write the entire book before pitching it to publishers. Um, I had an agent, I found an agent who really helped me um, so she kind of helped me to structure the story, but I did pretty much just sit and write and make it, you know, I kind of knew roughly that I wanted this to happen and this to happen, but I didn't have it mapped out. Once you get a publisher involved, of course, they then have a say because it's their business. And so book two, I did have to completely map out for them and send over for them, my publisher to kind of approve. Um, I don't know if that's the way it works for all authors or whether it's just the way it works with my publishing house. Um, and then book three, because it's a completely different story. I, can, I had to, you know, pitch it. I had to meet Hannah, my publisher for dinner and talk about the idea and then go back to my desk and really tell her like almost chapter by chapter wow. how this book was going to play out. And although that was, a bit of a faff at the time now I keep going back to it and it's I have actually changed it you know it's not exactly right I've changed the chapters and what happens and added things but it is really helpful and I wonder whether actually I think it's easier as a writer to do that because I mean they say JK Rowling knew how Harry Potter was going to end when she started book one and I think that probably was massively helpful because sometimes it (laughs) just go off in strange directions Mm -hmm. and when it does and that does still happen even when you map it out because you kind of go off on one. Um, 
your agent or your editor at the end will just kind of go get rid of this because it just you realize afterwards that it just kind of doesn't work if you go off on, on a tangent sometimes that must be quite so, heartbreaking though <laughs> it's kind of it, yeah I mean it's kind of you you literally like one chapter that it happened to me in book two I literally remembered where I was when I wrote it and you kind of think of the hours that you put into it and you think god but then you do at the end when you've kind of edited it and changed it you do realize that they're right and that they they know what they're talking about and mm -hmm. it's a better book because of it so um, the editing process is actually i find harder than the writing because you're going back and having to restructure whole chunks um whereas writing you can just kind of go with the flow yeah be much uh, more free yeah and what about the blog what's the what's the future plans for the blog um, I feel like it's evolved, you know, I feel not only in terms of me, but in terms of like the whole blogging influencing realm has changed in six years. Um, people don't really blog anymore. They um, are more influencers and it's all social media. Um, I've kind of come full circle in that I'm back to doing what I originally loved doing, which is kind of shopping guides. I mean, my job like my last full-time job was doing shopping guides for the daily express you know i've come back to what i originally did um but i guess people that know me for my blog might wonder why i don't write the blogs anymore i kind of feel like i do you know occasionally do posts on instagram where i do write about motherhood but it has to be something that happens that makes yep. me want to do that I, I can't anymore just sit down and think what am i going to blog about today and then you know force myself to write one whereas I used to do that um because it was kind of what the blog was about at that point now it has to kind of come to me and I like doing it by social media but I do think um I have a newsletter now that comes out on a Saturday and um it's a bit of blog and it's a bit of kind of shopping as well and I kind of feel like that's probably the direction I'm going to go I, I still want to share my life um but I don't but I don't, I do want to kind of go back as well to, mm -hmm. to the shopping and um, have people honest, I'm, I'm very grateful I don't live in the UK because you would have bankrupted me by now. <laughs> I'm like, I love people, that, I love yeah. that, oh, I want this. <laughs> I know, people do say this. I do sometimes feel quite guilty that people are spending um, money <laughs> on my behalf. But then I do think as well, a lot of, you know, especially at this time of year, indeed up to Christmas, if I can find you a really good bargain, then I'm hoping that, you also save money on that front as well. Oh, no, absolutely. Your bargains are incredible, 100%. No, they're brilliant. And, and so, you've yeah. got great taste as well, so. Oh, thank you. Well, I think that's kind of what, I guess, a lot of mums um, just don't have perhaps the time to dig around for bargains and also to kind of work out what is fashionable or stylish. And I, I kind of try and make my shopping links less about fashion and more about what, is kind of stylish for mums like on the long term so if you buy a jumper now you can wear it for the next five years kind yeah. of thing so it's less about trends and more about just um kind of you know long longevity i guess um classic I, just, I just forward everything to my system like you have to buy this and buy this for her and yeah. get this. <laughs> do you do shop i mean i used to do a lot of shopping shit when i lived in dubai do you know we've only just started um and i think this year because normally at some point we've got someone coming over or we've been back or my husband's been back to do like a, a christmas shop yeah because um, obviously the uk the uk is just 100 times better isn't it um yeah so i think this year we're going to have to shop and ship 
for Christmas because I just don't, I'm, I'm uninspired by the Dubai um, shops. Basically. Yes. I don't know. And you need to be really careful with the weight. Exactly. So this is, yeah, because it's always a bit of a hidden, hidden figure, isn't it? Yeah, I remember my mum once posted me something to my shop and ship address and I think, you know, I'd asked her for something and then she had gone to Sainsbury's and bought loads of sweets. Oh no. <laughs> found them in the box. Oh my, I, I can't remember how much I paid. I think it was like close to £100 to oh, no. <laughs> get this box delivered to me because it was so heavy. Full of first I was like, I've put in a few extra things. I was like, <laughs> okay, great. Thanks. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Oh, it's all slightly terrifying. We'll see. Yeah. I need to start. It's like mid-October. I have to get going because I'm starting, no, to, you mean you I'm starting to get it. twitchy. Well, no, because yeah. like, no, because it takes ages to ship sometimes, doesn't it? So we yeah. really have to have to get going. Um, anyway, so at the end of the podcast, I always ask um, the same questions. Um, so if you could go for coffee with any women in history or like um, fiction or your family or anybody, who would it be? Okay, so um, I don't want to go for tea. I want to go for wine. Is that okay? Wine, yes, you can have um, wine. <laughs> I want to go for wine with um, Kate Middleton. Um, nice. I, I'm not like massively interested in celebrity culture, but I really love the royals. And I'm really fascinated by Kate. I, well, Catherine, um, actually. She, yeah, I just, I would love to know what it's like to live her life mum of three kids in that spotlight and um, you know what it was like to walk out of that hospital with her hair perfectly styled um, looking incredible because you know like I I feel like when I had the children in 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 and I was in hospital I'd said to my friends in Dubai you know I'll stop by you know I'll be there for three days come come and visit and then every single time I sent a message to say actually don't I'm not feeling up to it um and I just never had a visitor in hospital because I just wasn't ready for it until I went home mm-hmm. and so when she stepped out of the hospital you know I mean I can't remember I think it was like day the day after even in some respects maybe even the same day I can't remember with I think the last one Louis I think she she came out almost like the same day if not the next day and I just want to know what it was really like like I would love to hear from her point of view how much of it she feels um under pressure I guess yeah, how much was her choice Maybe. to do so yeah. yeah and I I get the impression that they're quite good fun as well so I would love to um kind of I, this is why I want wine with her yeah she needs wine. <laughs> to loosen her up a little bit <laughs> yeah did you hear her on um on Giovanna's podcast with happy mum happy baby no oh she's on um gosh it was in February I think you should look back. Oh, okay I have yeah to no that. it's good it's good she is fun I think for sure yeah. And what have you heard yourself saying um, since becoming a mum uh, that your mum used to say to you? <laughs> um, my mum had three children too, and she constantly used to go, I can't even hear myself think. <laughs> I, I probably say this, I mean, every day, but probably <laughs> several times a day, because the one thing that I think has really surprised me of being a mum and one thing that I really struggle with still to this day is the noise. I like find silence, like I need silence. This is why I struggle with lockdown so much yeah, because I need, sure. like, I need quiet to feel calm and to feel kind of collected and to gather my thoughts. And they're just so noisy. Like the three <laughs> of them together, 
are so noisy and I you know my children you know everyone says you either have a talker or a walker and my children talked you know they, they weren't walkers they talked really early and they just didn't stop once they'd started um you know, friends of mine now will give one of my children a lift to a club or pick them up from school and they will say oh my god they talk a lot don't they and I was like yes they do they never stop they talk all the time when they're not talking they're shouting um there's this constant noise in my house it's a very noisy house and I totally understand what my mum meant when she said I can't hear myself think because you'll be having a thought you'll be thinking I need to book this or I need to write this in the calendar so I don't forget it or I need to remember to put this in their bag for school and then a child will interrupt you and that's it the, the thought's gone and you just can't you can't hear yourself think no. like she was totally right you just can't and <laughs> Um, I didn't, as a child, understand what she meant. It was just kind of like, yeah, whatever, mum. Yeah, can't hear yourself think. But you can't, as a mum, hear yourself think at times. Does it bother her now, your mum, when, when the kids... My mum... Does it bother her now? Or, or is she and grandma? No. And it doesn't well, um, no, not really. She's different as a nana than she was as a mum. She Always. was... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, she was very strict as a mum. Um, you know, <laughs> I we think were this is like, everybody. She was strict as a mum, as a grandma, yeah. sweets for breakfast, go nuts. Exactly. <laughs> like we were allowed sweets once a week. We had sweetie day on a Friday and we were allowed, I don't know, like 10p to spend at the stop on the way home from school and you'd get 10 little sweets for 10p. So um, that was it for the week. No, nothing else. My children go to her house now. <laughs> And she likes cooking cakes. And, oh, um, your mum is, honestly, she's, I, she's, she's my hero. She's like a amazing, oh, amazing cake. Incredible. Absolutely. Like, cool. I, I dabble in a bit of cake making and your mum is something else. She's amazing. Yeah, she's, she's very talented in the old cake making. Um, so the kids have totally cotton on to this. And they know <laughs> that whenever they go, all they have to do is go, baking? And then she, <laughs> of course, and she jumps up, puts the pinnies on and... But the latest thing, of course, is that they decorate them with sweets. So they'll go, Nana, can we decorate them with um, sweets today? And she'll go, oh, okay, yes, lovely. So <laughs> out they come, all these like sweets. And they'll, you know, they'll, they'll be like putting a bit of icing in their mouth as they're going. And then they'll be like, and then now can we open these sweets and these sweets? And then they'll, and then we'll just eat one while I'm going. And then, one on the cake, ten in the mouth. <laughs> and then, you know, she's great because what she'll do is she'll send the kids back with the cake. So then we've got the cake in the house. So she like makes the cake and then she gets it out of her house. She's like, no, I don't want that. And that's like, take <laughs> that home kids. And then we, so this means that we constantly have cakes on the go in my house that Nana's made, which is great, but not so good for the waistline. <laughs> and, not so good when your children are very sensitive to sugar and make more noise when um, they've eaten it, which she knows. So, <laughs> yeah, it does make me laugh because, you know, she was very strict about sugar when we were younger. Now, I don't think it matters, does it? When you when we become a grandma, all rules go out. The no, window, when you can apparently. hand them back. Yeah, yeah, this is it. Absolutely. And <laughs> since becoming a mum, what's your what's your best life hack? And I'm listening. I'm looking forward to this because I feel like you're. You're an I don't I mean, yeah, don't be too, don't look forward to it too much. Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't necessarily really believe in hacks or tips or advice or anything because I just think the way that I mother is that I totally wing it every single day. And um, I think I, when I had my first baby, I really thought there was, you know, a manual or a guide out there that I was missing on how to bring up children. And, you know, certain things I 
I felt quite proud of myself. I'd totally nailed, you know, potty training was quite easy. And certain things I completely had no idea on. Or, you know, it went well the first time and then the second child came along and I realised that I hadn't nailed it at all. It was just that I was lucky the first time. Um, and the child, you know, suited that technique of parenting, mm -hmm. whereas the second one totally didn't. My, my first child was actually quite an easy child. Um, he was never really had tantrums and he was um quite you know excited about like learning was his thing he loved um watching like dvds of like the alphabet and stuff and i kind of thought oh this is amazing i'm wow. raising a genius that's great <laughs> um and then his brother came along and oh my goodness he was the polar opposite in every way and has stayed the polar opposite of his brother in terms of like right down to like one of them had curly hair one of them had straight hair you know <laughs> one of them was blonde one of them was dark it was they were complete opposites and um, have stayed that way. And everything that I thought I'd learned with child one went completely to pot with child two. Mm -hmm. And then of course, child three, who was kind of a blend of the two of them. So certain things worked for her that had worked for one, but hadn't worked for two and vice versa. So um, I don't really have any hacks to offer because I just think that for each of mine, different things work. Yeah. Um, I think that is a hack. We're winging it. I think you should get a t-shirt made actually. We're yeah, absolutely. It. Well, selfish mother did, didn't she? She had yeah, she um, did, didn't she? And, and I possibly even owned it, although I don't know where that's gone. Um, but yeah, she, I just, yeah, I just think, um, trust your intuition. I think that's the main thing that I could take from motherhood. Like, I just think we usually do know best, mm -hmm. um, when it comes to our own children and um and yeah possibly don't brag about your conquest with number one because it, um, <laughs> it may come back to bite you in the bum well i think don't brag about anything because it's going to come back to bite you <laughs> yeah like you know when you see new mums on facebook saying my child slept through the night everything's great and you're like ha wait till tomorrow <laughs> because it just you know it just doesn't pay to ever and also even when you crack like sleeping through the night or potty training even like three or four years later a time will come where they go through a phase and it all goes wrong again mm -hmm. and um you know i'm still learning my eldest is only eight and often i'll write something funny on social media about you know how something's happened and a mum will write wait till they're 20 or wait till they're 40 <laughs> and you think you know you it you never stops really you know no. i think i think that's the thing about motherhood isn't it i will or having a child is everything is a stage and you've just got to, I think that's, that's the thing I play and repeat. Everything is just a stage and nothing yeah. will last and, and I everything think, evolves. Know, just ride it like, you know, good, there'll be good, there'll be good times and just enjoy it and don't worry about it all going wrong because mm -hmm. it might not, or it might, or, um, and yeah, just like enjoy the moments of calm um and celebrate when things go well because it's kind of worth it because yeah it's hard and it's worth you know so don't you know when i say the new mom who wrote about her child sleeping through the night yeah still enjoy it um because it happened but but don't, don't get don't, too used to it <laughs> used to it yeah <laughs> thank you louise so 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 much for speaking to me i have to say like i think you were my um my first introduction to like blogging or social media or anything. I had no idea until I stumbled across one day, mum of boys. And <laughs> so it's such a pleasure to talk to you. Um, and okay. so how can people find you? Um, so I'm on Instagram, mum of boys and Mabel and Facebook, mum of boys and Mabel. Um, I also have my spin-off um, shopping 
page on Facebook, which is called Bargain Buys for Mums and Dads, um, more relevant to those of you in the UK. And um, my books, um, which I write under Louise Emma Clark. So you can Amazon me, I guess, and find me on there. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for the chat. It's been really nice. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. I love talking to Louise today and particularly her story behind transitioning away from expat life. She's managed to make me even more homesick than I already was. Take a look at her social media pages for glorious scenes of the UK countryside and her snuffly pup Bertha, not to mention her amazing shopping link bargains, something I think we all could do with this year. Thank you all again so much with your support for the podcast. Have a great week and I'll be back with a truly incredible story next week.